And there's joy in serving Jesus. They were singing that, and I sat there and thought, what would my life be like if I had not gotten saved in 1971 at Texas A&M University and the Corps of Cadets getting ready to go to Vietnam? And I got saved, and my life changed directions. And what a joy it's been to serve the Lord. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, this could be the best night of your life. Give your heart to Christ and get born again. And find the joy in serving Jesus that does not come any other way. So... I appreciate that music. You have a musically talented church. And I, I probably don't know everybody's influence, but I know that Miss Carlson has had a great influence in the music of this church and what a great job she has done. Passing her talent on to others. Amen. Teaching, encouraging. And... Uh, I travel quite a bit. I can't think of anybody I'd rather hear the, play the piano than Miss Carlson. Amen. It's just a blessing. There's a there's a there's an elegance and yet a strength in the way she plays the piano, as well as the talent. And so. You may get to thinking that, you know, nobody ever notices, but they do. They do. So, good job. Keep up the good work. I would like to go tonight to the book of Revelation. underline something that I don't want to forget. I got it in my notes, but that doesn't always mean I'm going to remember it. <laughs> uh, yes, when I go into service, Brother Carlson, I quite often think of things, I need to put this right there, and I need to put this right there, and that's I'm always working on them, always working on them, always thinking about them. And uh, let me read for a text, Revelation 21, verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, 
For these words are true and faithful. You know why he's going to make all things new? Because all things are such a mess. Now when God created everything, he said that it was good. It was good. It was good. Everything was good until man was alone. Yes, sir. And God said that was not good. So he made him help meet for him. And mankind began to flourish, have dominion, take over the land, have dominion over the animals. Sin entered in. Everything got crazy. So crazy that Cain killed his brother Abel over how to worship God. And countries have been fighting each other over that ever since. If you don't worship God like I do, I'll kill you. Oh, we might not Think of it physically, although there are places in the world that they will kill you if they don't if you don't worship like they do. But my point is, God's going to make all things new because man has made such a mess of everything. Amen. Everything's a mess. The uh he created a perfect environment. And I'm not an environmentalist. But man has destroyed his own environment. Yes, sir. Just by being selfish and careless and whatever he could do to further himself. At the expense of whatever it had to be at the expense of. And 6,000 years of that have produced a lot of environmental problems. And the environmentalists believe that they're going to fix all that. Passing laws. Cleaning things up. But the truth of the matter is, God's going to fix it all. After he melts it. He's not going to destroy it with a flood again, but boy, you believe in global warming. Do I ever believe in global warming? I believe it's going to melt the elements with a fervent heat. Now that's some warming. Now why, 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 how's he going to melt the world with a fervent heat? Well, he's enlarging hell every day. Hell hath enlarged herself. Eventually, it's going to get closer and closer to the surface. It keeps enlarging. And so that insulation is not going to be thick enough someday. It's just going to melt. The 
The educational system is messed up. It is so messed up that the teachers and administrators can't tell the boys from the girls. They now put litter boxes in the halls of some of the public schools so that the child that identifies as a cat doesn't have to go to the people restroom. Hmm? That's pretty crazy. That's messed up. Amen. That is messed up. I pastored a family Oh, 30 years ago. And they had a little boy, and if you called him by his name, he would get mad. He'd say, my name is Truck, because I'm a truck. That's 30 years ago. Well, now they're, they're dogs, and they're cats, and they're, they're, they're not boys anymore, they're girls. They're not girls anymore, they're boys. It is all messed up. The educational system teaches that perversion is normal and acceptable. The political system is messed up. They fight like cats and dogs over every issue. If one side decides they're for something, the other side decides right that second they're against it. They're not going to agree on anything even if it would make sense to agree. Messed up. The religious system is messed up. It's as messed up as I've ever seen it. You have King James Bible believers. That's what I am, by the way. You have... Bible correctors and the Bible educators are the correctors. And they're teaching the young preachers how to correct the Bible instead of how to preach the Bible. You have contemporary churches. Different music, different versions of the Bible different style of preaching. It's all getting messed up. And for some reason, the contemporary churches are the ones that are filling up. And the old-fashioned churches, attendance declines. And it gets harder and harder to get new people to come if you're against anything because you just don't have any grace. Yes, sir. Amen. The religious system is all messed up. The economic system is all messed up. Inflation is spiraling out of control. The stock market is totally unpredictable. Even the experts are scratching their heads. They don't know from day to day what's going to happen because all these people are 
shorting, and others are buying, and others are selling. And I mean, and they can send out emails, and a million people can do the same thing on the same day. And it's not even a real economic system. It's a manipulated system. The criminal justice system is a mess. They talk about rehabilitation. You don't rehabilitate people by putting them in a giant cage and turning them loose with each other. I'm just saying it's not working. When they get locked up, they learn more ways to do crime than they knew before. Somebody said, what's the solution to that? The Bible. But what does the Bible have to say about that? They didn't say build giant cages and lock them up. I'm just saying that's not Bible. What did they do? They said if a man sheds another man's blood, his blood has to be shed. Oh, that's harsh. It's a deterrent. That means, really, the injection is unscriptural. The electric chair was unscriptural. There's no bloodshed. So God didn't institute building giant cages. He instituted cities of refuge. I don't have time to go into all that. I'm just giving you some reasons why God's going to make all things new. Because the old is all messed up. When we get to heaven, we're all going to believe the same doctrine. That'll be a switch, won't it? We're all going to praise God. We're going to be shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I don't know if you've ever heard a great preacher's message on the four hallelujahs. But it's a great one. Dr. Harold Seitler. I make all things new. The criminal justice system is messed up. Morality is messed up. Everything is messed up. So I'd like to preach tonight on this making all things new and what we have to look forward to in heaven. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Everything is going to be right. Nothing is going to be messed up. Nothing is going to be, even if you're hypercritical and you can find something wrong with everything and everybody, you're not going to find anything wrong with heaven. Behold, 
I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and faithful. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17. The Bible said, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. I'm going to get a new name. You know, the name I have now, Danny Farley, reminds different people of all kinds of different things, depending on what era of my life you're talking about. Now, my hometown where I grew up, Probably reminds people of my faults and my failures and my sins and my shortcomings. And maybe a little sarcasm. Maybe a little rude, critical at times. And have been accused quite often of having no compassion. So when they think of that name, they think of those negative connotations that go with that name. I'm looking forward to a new name that everybody has these positive, warm fuzzies about. Won't that be a switch? The new name, I believe, is going to remind them of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. They said that about us, our new name, and the Bible says that about him. Oh, and it says he's called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He's not going to be the meek and lowly Lamb of God in Revelation 19. He's going to be true and faithful and making war. Righteous war. So this new name will... Remind us of his power and his glory and what he did for us when he saved our souls and wrote our names down in the Lamb's book of life and secured our place in heaven forever. I'm sure you already know this, but you couldn't go to hell now if you tried. You're saved. You're born of God. You're in His family. God is your Father. And He loves you. And He will not disown you. 
We say we believe in salvation by grace through faith. Isn't that what we say? Isn't that what we preach? But let somebody get off in the hog pen in the far country somewhere. Yeah, I knew that guy wasn't ever saved. You know what we're really judging them by? Their works. That we say we don't believe that. But we practice it on a regular basis. And we decide in our minds and in our hearts whether somebody is saved or not. You say, how do you know that? Because when we have prayer requests, preacher, pray for so-and-so, pray for his salvation, and it's somebody that used to come to church. Well, are they saved or are they lost? God knoweth. I'm just saying you can't judge people by their works before they're saved and you can't judge them by their works after they're saved. Salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, what a terrible place heaven would be if people got there by their works and then they could spend all eternity testifying how good they were to get there. What a miserable place that would be for all eternity. So God put everybody on the same ground at the foot of the cross, lost in sin, wicked, deserving to go to hell. And then he loved them and he bought them with the blood of his only begotten son. And he washed them and he saved them. Amen. And he put them in the family of God and starts building them a mansion on the other side and takes them there when they die whether they were a good Christian or a bad Christian. Nobody but God would come up with a system where the worst Christian in the church goes to the same heaven that the best Christian in the church goes to. And I can hear it now, somebody saying, well, that's not fair. If you've ever pastored, you've heard that one. <laughs> oh, a new name. Got that to look forward to. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4. He talks about uh, we're born again in verse 3, begotten again. He said to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in verse 4 says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. I have an inheritance. I'm looking forward to seeing what my inheritance is. Now, I've been preaching now for 50 years. A little over, actually. And uh, there's been about maybe three times in 50 years that somebody decided that they want to be a blessing to me. And they said, Preacher, I'm make my will out, and I don't have any children, or maybe they had children, and 
They hated each other. And I, I'd just like to just leave what few things I have to you when I die. I said, well, that's probably not a good idea. But I mean, it's your stuff. Do whatever you want to do with it. They said, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave it to you. And all three times, sooner or later, I said something they didn't like in my preaching. Can you imagine that? How could that happen? And all three times they changed their mind and didn't leave me anything. But you know what? I'm okay with that because I still have an inheritance and it's going to be better than what any of them could have possibly left me. An inheritance, the Bible said, that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. The stock market can't plunge and lose it. The inflation can't eat it up. And it's reserved in heaven, the Bible says, for me. It's real. It's not an imaginary inheritance. It's rich, worth more than anything you could have in this world. It's ready whenever he gets ready to call me home. It's ready. It's reserved. You can't get mine. I can't get yours. It's reserved in heaven for you. Got a reservation for this inheritance. It will remain. It cannot corrupt by moth, rust, dust, mildew. It cannot be defiled. The gold is pure. It's so pure, it's as clear as glass. It's a street of gold. When we sing the song, you know, we talk about streets of gold, but actually there's only one in the Bible. Everybody lives on Main Street. Again, good Christians, bad Christians. Everybody lives on Main Street, the street of pure gold. It cannot be defiled. It cannot fade away. It won't wither as the, gla the grass or the flowers. But it's reserved in heaven and it's a grand and a glorious inheritance. When I told my dad that I was going to Houston to preach the gospel. He owned a farm. He had bought a feed store because he said he got tired of taking his money every year that he worked all year for to two places. That was the bank and the feed store to pay his bills. And he said, I just woke up one day and said, what am I doing? I work from before daylight to after dark six days a week, all year, and then I take all the money that I sell the crop for to those two places. He said, I'm going to buy me a feed store so everybody else works and brings me their money. And that's what he did. My brother still runs it to this day. He's a multimillionaire. 
Because he made, he, he called me up one day and he said, I just had my first million dollar month. Yeah, that's selling some fertilizer. Mm-hmm. So he started buying all the land that joined my dad's farm. And when I told my dad I was going to Houston to preach, he said, you go to Houston, you're out. I said, okay, Dad. We'll see you later. There went that inheritance. But you know what? I got a better inheritance. My kids don't have to figure out what to do with millions of dollars. <laughs> if I do come across a couple of million, I've already got a place to spend it to get the gospel to Israel. My wife is praying for $2 million that she wants to buy a piece of land, build a dormitory, and start housing lone soldiers in Israel who are volunteer soldiers that come to Israel and train from six months to a year with the Israeli Defense Forces. And then they go back to their country that they came from. And if anything bad ever happens in Israel, they can send one email and have a half a million already trained men show up in Israel, already trained to fight. And their goal is actually to have a million trained because the whole surrounding world around Israel is against them and wants to kill them because they're the apple of God's eye. So she wants to get this building and be like a dorm mother and mama all these young men that are coming over there to train to fight because Israel does not pay them salary. They're volunteers. They just agree to come and train. They don't get a salary. They'll furnish them a weapon, an ammunition. They don't even furnish them a backpack we buy backpacks for them and take them to Israel. Or if we can find them in Israel, hydration backpacks, we buy them, we give them to those soldiers. It's illegal to witness in Israel. It's against the law. If you walk up to a Jewish person and you start saying, you know, if you die tonight, do you know where you'd go? Or do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Or whatever, you start doing witnessing like you might do here. They take you to jail. It's against the law. So what you do, you give them gifts. And it is legal to answer any questions that they ask you. And when you give them a hydration backpack or a Leatherman tool, they love those old Leatherman tools. We call them multi-purpose tools now, but the old Leatherman tools are kind of the granddaddy of the multi-purpose tools and everybody still likes them because they're the best. And when you give them those gifts, they say, now why are y'all bringing us all these gifts? And you can answer their question. And I, we tell, or I tell them, I don't know what everybody else tells them, but I usually tell them, because I am a selfish Gentile. And God 
Your God said that if I would be a blessing to you, God would be a blessing to me. And I want your God to be a blessing to me. Because I'm selfish. I want lots of blessings. So here's your backpacks. Here's your Leatherman tools. Have a good day. And they'll usually laugh when I tell them that. And the wall's down. And we can talk. And I'll say, do you have any other questions? And they always do. They always have more questions. Because they don't, they really think this is some kind of trap, you know. You're not just giving us a gift. Well, they're probably right about that. <laughs> right? I didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm just going to take a bunch of gifts to Israel. Yes, we want our gifts to make room for us to get the gospel to them. But we just can't initiate that conversation. They have to initiate that conversation. So you have to be careful with some Bible believers. You can't take them over there because, well, I don't care what their laws are. Mm, yeah, you will. They're their laws. And they will enforce their laws. Oh, but to have an inheritance... It's never going to fade away. What are we going to, what am I looking forward to? John chapter 14 verses 1 through 3. I'm looking forward to a mansion. You know, I've lived in some uh, sketchy places. You know what a sketchy place is? Since I've been in Houston, I've had some neighbors that, I was always wondering why people kept going and coming at their house. <laughs> and my wife would just shake her head and say, you just don't get it, do you? Get what? Get what? She said, he's a drug dealer. Really? That's why all those people are coming and going. He's a drug dealer. She said, everybody but you in the neighborhood knows that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. I'm looking forward to seeing my mansion. I believe it's going to be better than anything I can imagine. It may not be better in wealth, but then again it may be. I'm not sure if wealth even matters in heaven. Because we're going to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and we're going to own it all. A prepared mansion. Think about the time that's been invested in that mansion and the talent involved by Jesus the carpenter building my mansion. Can you imagine what it'd be like to have a carpenter that never mismeasured anything? And then people, these critical people that like to find flaws, you know, in everybody's work, Start looking at what Jesus has built and 
everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. They can't even find something to criticize. Every, every angle was right. Every connection is right. Every everything is right. Wait till you see your mansion in heaven. Listen, if you're not saved tonight, you ought to get saved tonight for two reasons. One, you can have a mansion in heaven and it'll be perfect. Two, you don't have to worry about going to hell forever and trying to pay for your own sins. It's a prepared mansion. It's a personal mansion. You'll have your own. It's a peaceful mansion. God is going to be the head of that house. It's a peculiar mansion. Everyone will be different. It won't look like a subdivision in Houston. Amen. Where every house looks almost exactly the same in the entire subdivision. Okay, they got three floor plans for these 50 houses. It's a promised mansion. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm looking forward to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a reunion. Amen. Okay, Thessalonians can't be this hard to find. I, got, I use my Bible for a filing cabinet. People are always telling me you shouldn't be putting all that paper in your Bible. It's going to break the binding. Yeah, well, but I need all them pieces of paper. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, talking about a reunion. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. In other words, quit crying over your relatives that are born again, that are dying. It's all right to grieve. It's all right to be sorrowful, but don't just keep on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Eventually, you've got to come to the reality they're saved. They're in heaven. They're better off than we are. I'm kind of looking forward to that myself. I got my three score and ten in. I'm heaven bound with a hammer down, and it won't be long now. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. I got a grandpa that preached for over 60 years. He was a circuit rider in Texas. Had a horse named Cricket that he would ride. He'd pastor five churches at the same time. One on first Sunday of every month, one on the second Sunday of every month, one on the third Sunday of every month, one on the fourth Sunday of every month, and then about three times a year or four times a year, there's going to be a fifth Sunday. He would pastor a fifth Sunday church too. And they would just have church when there was a fifth Sunday. So he would pastor five churches at the same time, would ride his horse to those churches. And he had some, you know, tales to tell. He came home from one of those, uh, he preached something some guy didn't like. I can't imagine that. When I started preaching, all my relatives said, you preach just like Uncle Frank or Grandpa Skaggs or whatever whatever they happened to call him. You preach just like he did. I took that as a compliment. I'm 
not sure. I think they meant it as a compliment. I think some of them. Maybe not all of them. But he preached something a guy didn't like. And the guy went out to get his horse and he said, uh, I know how you're going to, the trail you're going to take going home and I'm going to be in the woods and I got my pistol and I'm going to shoot you before you get home. So my grandpa mounted his horse and started heading home. When he got home, my grandma was in there and she greeted him. He walked into the house and laid a pistol on the table. He said, what are you doing with a pistol? He said, ah, oh, guy said he was going to kill me with it. She said, what happened? He said, it didn't happen. He never would tell what happened. Nobody in the family ever knew how he got that man's pistol. But he got it. I don't know if he talked him out of it, beat him out of it. I, I don't know. All I know is... Today, I got that pistol. It's my grandpa. I don't mean in Canada. I mean at home. <laughs> but it's just, I, I, I want to ask him, Grandpa, what happened with the pistol? Wouldn't you want to know? I mean, there's going to be real people in heaven, okay? It's not like a bunch of spirits floating around. There's going to be real people in heaven. And we're going to have real conversations. And we're going to have a lot to talk about. And I believe it's going to be very interesting to find out how it was in the days of Noah, how it was in the days of Abraham, how it was in the day of David the king, how it was, amen, in the days of Jesus Christ, how it was, amen. We got all eternity to talk about those things and find out. What really happened? I think that's going to be a thrill. We're going to, be a, going to have a reunion. I'm not only looking forward to my grandpa, but now my dad is in heaven. World War II veteran. Sniper. He made fun of all these sniper books that come out now. How many confirmed kills they had. He says, something wrong with you when you're wanting to confirm your kills. He says, I didn't do that. There was a young man came to our church that I grew up in. Just three miles to the nearest paved road where I grew up in church. Missionary came. Missionary to Germany. He came, presented his work. And my dad, he just looked at the floor the whole time. And so the young man said, Mr. Farley, did I offend you? I noticed that the whole time I was talking, you kept looking at the floor. My dad said, no. No, you didn't offend me. He said, why'd you keep looking at the floor? He said, and my dad had never looked at him at that point. He raised up his head and he looked him right in his eye and he said, I was trying to resist the urge to go out there to my pickup and get my rifle and shoot you right between the eyes like I did all those other Germans I saw back in 1944. See, the war was real to Dad. 
They were trying to kill him. And he just killed them first. You say, that's horrible. I agree. But that's what he was sent there to do. That's what he was trained to do. My dad was the best shot that I ever have met. When he got old in his 80s, he could barely drink a cup of coffee without just spilling it all over him. And I was home one day and he said, he said, set me up a target down there. I want to sight, see if my rifle's still sighted in. He had a 308 lever action. That was his thing. I set up the target and I'm thinking, well, this is going to be exciting. <laughs> I set it up and he got out there and he got down and he got situated and he held that thing up and, and he went. He took that breath and let half of it out and that hand quit shaking. And he put that bullet right in the center of the bullseye in his 80s. And I said, wow. If he can do that with a hand shaking like that, I'd hate to be on the other end of his scope and rifle when he was in his 20s. I'm looking forward to seeing my dad again. I don't know if it's right or wrong to be proud of that kind of military service, but I've got to be honest with you. I'm proud of my dad. I'm thankful that he did his part to stop that German regime that murdered six million Jewish people because of their racism. My dad did his part. I don't know. I'm not even sure I understand all that. I'm just saying I'm looking forward to the reunion. And my mom. My mom's the most honest person I ever met. I mean, so honest, my dad couldn't stand it sometimes. We had a farm, registered Hereford cattle, registered Poland China hogs. And when the watermelon, we'd raise watermelons and cantaloupes, and when the watermelon crop had come in, he'd put them in the pickup, take them to town, he'd peddle those watermelons and sell them. He'd get home, and Mama had a 14-column ledger, big heavy covers, you know, plop. At the end of every day, she recorded every transaction, like an accountant. She'd say, well, how much did you sell today? She'd get her pencil out. He said, it don't matter, it was cash. She said, well, I'll just put down $300 in. Well, I didn't sell $300 worth. She said, then how much did you sell? You don't tell me, I'm going to put down $300. All right, it was $42. Are you sure? Yes, yes, I'm sure. She'd write down $42. She wrote down every penny that he made, no matter how he made it. Now, I'm not saying you don't do that. But I'm saying most people don't. They have a garage sale. They don't put it in their ledger book. Am I right? 
My mother was the most honest person I ever have met in my life. She did not want to cheat the government out of one penny because she believed she would face God with that. And she wanted to face God with a clear conscience. When those auditors came to our house one day, IRS came going to audit the farm. They came and they looked for a little bit. And one of them said, now where did you get this number right here? My mother went and got her ledger, flopped it open on the table. She said, I got it. That will be the sum of this column of numbers right here, this number at the bottom. And they looked and there was that number and there was that number. What about this number over here? Where would you get that? She turned a page or two. She said, the bottom of this column be that number right there. They asked her about three questions. And they said, I think this audit is over. He said, I've never audited anybody since I've been doing this that had this detail of records. So you probably won't be hearing from us again. She said, thank you. She called him son. Thank you, son. I appreciate your kindness. And she said, you have my word. I will be honest. My mother was honest. Irritated dad sometimes, but she just wanted to do the right thing. That's old time stuff right there. That's old school honesty. A reunion. My mom got Alzheimer's. Didn't even know who I was. If she did think she knew who I was, she would think I was her brother. I went in to see her one day. And she said, well, Frankie Lee, what are you doing home from the war? World War II. I said, I got to missing those unfiltered camel cigarettes. And I couldn't find any over there, so I came back home to get me some camels. Now, I've been telling you, you need to quit smoking them cigarettes. You're going to get cancer and die. Well, he'd already been dead 25 years when we had the conversation. You know what the problem with most people is when a relative gets dementia or Alzheimer's? They want to correct them. They're not even going to remember that you corrected them. Five minutes later... Quit correcting elderly people. I say quit correcting elderly people, young people. Amen. Elderly people's minds don't work as quick as yours does. And especially if they get dementia or Alzheimer's, don't correct them. Don't tell them what day it is. I know the medical world tells you, you know, tell them what day it is so they can keep... No, no. Just go with the flow. It's less stress on them and it'll be less stress on you. Amen. Well, mama, she'd tell me something and I'd just roll with it. She'd say, see that guy in that tree out there? Mm, no, I don't think. Well, he's right there. On, he's right there on that bottom limb in that tree. Oh, oh okay. Okay. <laughs> now, what about him, mom? He watches me all the time. He's trying to hurt me. Oh, I said, Mom, he's not going to hurt you. 
How do you know? I said, we got somebody here watching over you. I was talking about the Lord. She said, oh. Oh, did y'all buy this place? No, Mom, we didn't buy it, but we got somebody watching over you. Well, she didn't even accept that. She said, I knew that y'all might have bought this place and hired somebody to take care of me. She said, I think I'll just quit worrying about that guy. That's a good plan, Mom. And she just smiled, and we talked for about five minutes before she was back looking out at that tree again. I'm talking about you got to learn to just roll with it when they get dementia. Is anybody listening to me tonight? Is anybody getting there? I know some of y'all are disagreeing with me right now because you know somebody, they got Alzheimer's, they got dementia, and you think God has called you to keep their mind straight. It, it's an exercise in futility. You're not going to keep them straight. Their mind, there's something wrong with it, but I'm looking forward to that reunion and seeing my mama and having a conversation about growing up and what a good mama she was to me and the good times that we had and how, how sad it was when I saw the state that she got in when she got old. I would go home, I'd visit her, and when I would leave, it would take me three days to get over the visit because I really didn't know that woman that I was visiting. It's like she wasn't my real mom. It was somebody else. Oh, but yeah. God is going to take care of all that. And God is going to fix all that. And I can't wait to see my mama. She's not only going to have her good mind, she's going to have the best mind that she's ever had. And I'm, we're going to sit down and talk. I don't know about that cloud of witnesses. I don't know if she sees me preaching, going to Romania, Ukraine, Paraguay, Colombia, Israel. I don't know if she sees us traveling and trying to get the gospel in all the world, but if she doesn't know anything about that, I'm sure going to tell her about it when I get there. And I'm going to ask her, what have you been doing, Mama? What a reunion. Don't miss that. Whatever excuse you may have for not getting saved, don't miss the reunion. You know what I got to look forward to? Seeing the Savior who loved me, gave himself for me, saved me from my sins, called me to preach when I was still a teenager, been preaching ever since. Glory to God! Hallelujah! What a Savior! had grace with me and had mercy with me so many times. When I said things I shouldn't have said, did things I shouldn't have done, and he still loves me and he uses me to try to be a blessing to other people. Oh, if I could just hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But even if I don't get to hear that, I'm still going to be there. And it's going to be well. It'll be well with my soul. Because he made me a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, old things passed away and behold, all things became new. You know what I'm looking forward to? Revelation 19, an exciting return 
That's going to be exciting. I don't have time to turn to Revelation 19, but I'm telling you, it's going to be exciting. That sharp sword coming out of his mouth, and he's going to wipe them out. I'm going to be on a white horse. I'm going to be riding behind, and I'm going to say, Yeah, go get them, Lord, go get them. (laughs) Man, what a time we're going to have. And then, the eternal bliss of heaven. Revelation 21.1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Well, there went my sins because he put them in the depths of the sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I buried a two-month-old granddaughter in 2002. Shed some tears over that baby. It was the most innocent, precious. I never walked in that room from the day she was born that I didn't sense an amazing presence of the Lord. It's like the Lord was just there all the time. I would go in there, we'd have to hold this baby. She was born with some problems and we'd hold a little oxygen tube to her face because she was so small, they didn't have a mask small enough. So we held her 24 hours a day and held an oxygen tube right to her mouth and nose. And I'd go in there and hold her at night. I'm sure I did, but I don't even remember getting sleepy because the presence of God was so strong And this baby's life was depending on me to hold this tube right by her mouth and nose. And after two months of that, I just felt close to that little girl. But she's doing fine tonight. Dr. Bob Sinsat, great Bible teacher in uh, Louisiana, said that he believed we would get to watch those babies grow up during the millennial reign of Christ. I don't know if they're going to be babies forever in heaven or if they're going to grow up in heaven or if they're going to grow up during the millennial reign of Christ, but I've comforted a lot of people with that at funerals in the last 50 years who are burying a baby. And I said, maybe... According to Dr. Bob Sinsat in Jennings, Louisiana, you may get to watch this baby grow up during the millennial reign of Christ. I'm not saying that's Bible doctrine. I'm saying if that's not correct, God will have an even better idea. I've thought about the millions of babies who have been aborted. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just got to watch them all grow up? Yeah. 
Mm. And some mama that's been brokenhearted most of her life now because of that decision that she made. Maybe she got saved and she'll even get to watch that one grow up. That'll take some pain away. We got a lot to look forward to. Don't miss out. Whatever your reason is for not getting saved, you need to junk it tonight. Come to Jesus Christ. Get born again. Trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. And then you'll have a lot to look forward to that you currently don't have to look forward to because you're not saved. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray you'd speak the message to every heart. Comfort somebody. Lord, I'm sure I'm not the only one in here that had an Alzheimer's patient as a mother or a father. And Lord, I'm probably not the only one that's buried a baby. But I pray you'd comfort their hearts tonight with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the promises of a better world in a place called heaven. Man has totally demolished this one. But I know you've got better things ahead for us. If there is a lost sinner here tonight, I pray they'd come, give their heart to Jesus Christ. Trust him to wash them from their sins and save their soul and give them a place in heaven.